2. Turn to Luke chapter 2 with me. Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 to 20. Luke chapter 2, verse 1 to 20. This is the word of the Lord. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a, uh, who, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that I would not add to it. I would not take away from it. We pray that we as your people would receive your word as the voice of our good shepherd, as the commands of our king, as the promises of our savior. I pray that you would do that in Jesus' name, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, kids, we are so glad that we have you here. This is a good place for you to be. And there are some things, of course, that you may not understand. But don't let anybody tell you you don't understand anything in the Bible or that you don't understand anything today. Because you guys will be able to remember the story. Probably you've heard this story before. The story about Jesus being born. Jesus came as a baby at Christmas. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. And we also know that Jesus came at Christmas, but he is also going to be coming again. 
You know that Jesus will one day come again. And when he came at Christmas, we learned a lot of things about him. And he's going to come again. And we can learn things from his first coming, which is Christmas, about his second coming, which will come sometime in the future. And here are the three things that you guys can remember about Jesus coming. When Jesus comes again, it will not be a secret. When Jesus comes again, it will not be a secret. Everyone will know it. You won't even have to tell people. Everyone will know it. When Jesus comes again, everyone will know it. It will not be a secret. The second thing is that when Jesus comes again, it will be beautiful and glorious. Remember when the angels came to the shepherds, it was glorious. The glory of the Lord filled the earth. It filled the heavens there. And that's what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back. But not just for the shepherds, but for everyone. So it's not going to be a secret. It's going to be very beautiful and glorious. And the third thing is that it will be royal. That means every single person will bow down to Jesus as their king. Everyone, every single person will treat Jesus as a king when he returns. So those are the three things that you can remember. When he comes again, it will not be a secret. When he comes again, it's going to be glorious. And the third thing is that when he comes again, it will be very royal. Okay? Your church, Jesus came in the flesh. He didn't come as an idea. He didn't come as a teaching. He actually came to actually rescue his actual people. He came in history. He came in space. He came in time. And he came on earth. And there are many people who will say that, uh, uh, that a person needs to have proof if they're going to say something about God. You, maybe you've heard this when you're speaking to somebody who's not a Christian. Well, I think that if somebody's going to say something about God, they must have proof. Now, I want to make sure that we don't argue with them about that. Because that's actually true. That's actually true. We do have proof that God made the heavens and the earth. You can look at the heavens. You can look at the earth. You can look at the stars. You can look, at, you can look through a microscope. You can look through a telescope. And you can see very clearly that there must be a God. Very clearly. Now, who is that God? If you can say, well, I think God is, this is the God, or I think that is a God, in order to say who is that God, a person must be able to prove it. Did you know that that's how God gave the Bible bit by bit to his people? Where a person God sent a prophet, and that person said wonderful, true things about God, and then that prophet proved it to the people of God over and over and over again by doing miracles or making a promise, a fantastic promise, and then that promise coming true about the future. Dear church, the God of Israel, the God of the Bible, the God of the gospel of Jesus, he spoke by the prophets, and then he proved he was the God of those prophets by acting in human history. And we're called not to simply believe in the gospel because we happen to be born into a Christian family or into a formerly Christian culture. 
but we're called to examine the prophecies that God made in Scripture and then see if they came true in history or in the in future, in, in further later Scriptures. To know that God is not just a God of ideas, but He is a God of action in actual human history. The first and second coming is meant to be a comfort and also a warning. The Lord is not slow in coming. The church has been waiting for Jesus' return for around 2,000 years now. And so, because we have been waiting a long time, as God is keeping his promise to build the church of all nations all over the world, we can see him keeping his promise. He's not slow in coming. He's very active in what he's doing. And we can see the results. But because we've been waiting for 2,000 years it is easy to believe that the rebellion and pain and abuse that we see with our eyes on this earth is all we'll ever see on the earth. Every day we wake up and we can see pain. We can see people rebelling against God. We can see this and it would be easy for us to simply say, well, we can believe that that's what we'll always see. Every time a human opens their eyes on the earth, they will always see these things. But do not believe that. Don't believe that the gospel and Jesus are merely things for our, our minds and for our feelings and for our emotions, but not for our eyes. Just like when Christ came for the first time to suffer for the church, he came in the flesh to be seen and to do things that could be seen. He will once again come again to rescue his people. And he will not only satisfy our hearts and our minds, but he will also satisfy our eyes where we will be able to see these things on the earth, his justice and his salvation. And we can say with Job, who spoke the following words hundreds of years ago, or sorry, thousands of years ago and hundreds of years before Jesus came, these words are found in Job 19, verse 25. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I shall see God, whom I, I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold. Not another. My heart faints within me. Your church, our first point this morning, looking at what we can see in the first coming of Jesus that will teach us about the second coming of Jesus is that the coming of Christ is visible not just was visible but the second coming as well the coming of christ is visible so let's look here at our at the bible and see this in our in the first coming of jesus his first advent advent means coming or the waiting for jesus is coming in luke chapter 2 which is what we read luke chapter 2 is preceded by what chapter in the bible luke chapter one, all right. In Luke chapter one, go to Luke chapter one just quickly and you can see this with me. Luke is very, very keen to prove that this is not just ideas. These are events that were witnessed in human history. Luke chapter one, verses one to four. Luke one, one to four. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from 
the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that have been taught. Luke wants us to know that whatever happens in the rest of the, the, the book he's going to sh- uh, share with us, these things were seen, not just learned, in what was seen. Now we can continue in Luke, and I'm going to go in Luke, Luke 1, just like point form here, and you can sort of scan along, because we're going to get to ch- chapter 2, but there's a few things we can see before we get to chapter 2. What was seen that, that Luke is telling us, that things were seen? So Zechariah is a priest is a priest of, of Israel. He's a, he's a priest who loves the Lord. And he's in the temple. And all of a sudden, he sees an angel of the Lord. And that angel tells him that him and his wife Elizabeth are going to have a child. And that child will be the forerunner of the Messiah. He's actually coming. The Messiah is coming. Your child is going to be a forerunner of him. Zechariah saw the angel of the Lord in the temple. And then if we go down further in Luke 1, Mary, Mary's a virgin and she's betrothed to a man named Joseph and she sees the angel Gabriel. And the angel Gabriel tells her that she is going to conceive and she will bear a son. This son will be the product of the Holy Spirit and this son will be the Messiah. Mary saw that. She saw an angel do uh, say that and she also got to see the growing of the baby within her she's something she knew was the work of god in history and then joseph again also gets a visit from an angel he sees an angel who tells him that the child that mary carries is not the result of sin but of the spirit of god and now we can turn to luke chapter 2 when we see this we turn, turn to Luke chapter 2 again. I want you to notice this. I can find it here. Luke chapter 2. Luke is very keen to let us know that this didn't happen in Narnia. This didn't happen in Middle Earth. This didn't happen in an imaginary place. This happened in history. If you see how very clearly that... Uh, um, that uh, Luke says these things. Look how historical it is. In those days, the decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. This is very history-focused. He tells us when, he tells us where. But we can also see in this passage in chapter, in chapter 2, verses 8 to 15, the angels are in the field. And the angels are just, or sorry, the angels, the shepherds are in the field and the shepherds are just minding their own business. They're keeping watch over their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. They saw this. This was not an idea that they had. They saw, their eyes witnessed an angel declaring the glory of the coming Messiah and saying he is born today, tonight. He is here in Bethlehem. And then to top it off, the whole sky filled with glory, the glorious angels who are are praising God. The shepherds saw this. They saw it with their eyes. But just to prove that it wasn't just uh, an imagination, the shepherds were told by the angels, here's how you're going to know it's true. This will be a sign for you. You see that? This will be a sign. 
you're gonna go and see this family and here's what you will see. You will see a baby, you will see a baby in a manger, in an animal trough wrapped in swaddling cloths. And the shepherds wanted to know very clearly, is this actually true? So they went with haste, they went very, very quickly to see this child. And what did they find? They find it exactly as the angels described to them. The shepherds saw the angels. The shepherds saw the baby lying in a manger. In verse 20, look at verse 20, very, very helpfully. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So this is not merely a teaching, but it's an event that they saw, that they witnessed. It wasn't them just coming to the realization there is a God, but they were able to see it with their own eyes. Now Jesus, expand, he explains his ministry later if we go to John 18. In John 18, Jesus is being questioned at his trial. John 18 verse 19. The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, this is lovely. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. Jesus makes it very, very clear that his ministry was very public, wasn't hidden. It was very, very public so that it could be scrutinized so people could watch very carefully and see if it lines up with the Old Testament prophecies. He did all these things openly, feeding 5,000 families with just a little bit of food, very publicly. Later on in in Scripture, in, in history, in Acts 26, Paul Paul is being questioned, and Paul says something very, very similar. Acts 26, verse 24. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus, that's the man who's questioned him, questioning Paul, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. And so he's talking to Paul as if these are just ideas that Paul is sharing. Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. But I am speaking true and rational words, for the king knows about these things, and I and I told, uh, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. Paul and Jesus both make the case that what happened when Jesus came the first time was very visible, very public, so that it can be scrutinized, so people can examine it. So so somebody's not just saying, by the way, this happened, you've got to believe me or you're going to hell. No, he said, look, look at what he did in front of all of Israel and any Gentiles who were there watching. These things weren't done in a corner. Peter and John Both speak very clearly in their epistles, in their letters to the church, 2 Peter 1 and 1 John 1, and they say essentially the same thing. These are not ideas. We saw these things happen. Lots of people saw these things happen. Paul is going to say in 1 Corinthians 15 when he's talking about the gospel, these people who witnessed this are still alive. Go ask them. Jesus came 
visibly. He came so that he could be examined. He left a massive footprint in human history. Dear church, you can be confident that God came in Christ to save the world. He was seen by hundreds of thousands of people doing that. And this is especially true of those who witnessed the moment of his arrival, his birth. Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and also the wise men. But it points to our hope and our confidence that he will return in the same way except broader. He didn't just leave us to Christianize and improve the world by imitating him and then that's it. It's not that wicked things on the earth that you see, the terrors, the pain, the rebellion, including your own, that's as good as your eyes will ever see on this earth. That's not true. He will return and he will be seen, but this time, he will be seen as plainly by everyone as he was by the shepherds and the wise men, this time by all. We can see this in Revelation chapter 1. Turn there right now. Revelation 1 Verses 4 through 8. Revelation 1, verse 4 to 8. Speaking of Jesus' second coming. John. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to, uh, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. Here we go in verse seven. Behold, He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is and who who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The second coming of Christ will be just as visible, but to every single person, every single eye. It won't be gradual, it will be sudden. Our faith will be sight immediately. No one will have to tell another person, the Lord has come. No one will discuss whether or not he has come. All will see it immediately, and some will rejoice, and some will weep, but every single person will see it. Our second point, first point, was that it will be visible. It won't be a secret. Our second point is this. The coming of Christ is glorious. Do you remember what the the response was for Mary and for Joseph and for Zechariah and the shepherds when they saw the angel's announcement? What was their response? What was their response? Like, oh, okay, I I guess there's an angel here. What did they all do? They were all terrified. Every time the angel had to tell them, don't be afraid. The coming of Christ was glorious. In verse 9, we can see that the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. But it wasn't the glory of the angels that made them afraid. Because angels don't actually have glory, 
they just reflect the glory of God. It's the glory of God that surrounds them. It accompanies them and it reflects from them. And even a reflected glory of the Lord God was enough to put these shepherds on their knees. They were filled with not a little bit of fear, but great fear. And that's saying something because these, are, these, these angels are perfect and they're without sin. And even they, in the presence of God, have to cover up their eyes with their wings because the glory of God is too great. It's too glorious. And the radiance of the glory of God always makes men tremble with fear in the scriptures. We see this with Moses. We see this with Elijah. We see this with Isaiah. Because when you see the glory of God, you see the radiance of his perfection. You see his holiness. And it immediately brings your attention to your own sin. Because if you live in a world that's filled with sin, it's easy for you not to think of yourself as a sinner. It's easy to compare yourself to other sinners and say, well, there's somebody I'm sure who's worse than me, or that guy I know is worse than me. In the presence of sinners, we feel less sinful, but in the presence of the holy and perfect God, what we once considered to be little imperfections now look like glaring and repugnant major moral failings. And so the response is fear. None of these men, none of the angels, none, neither Moses nor Elijah nor Isaiah argued with God about their sin. All of them. None of them denied their sin. The response was not, I'm going to argue. Not even thinking that God was wrong to condemn, but quite the opposite. Faced with the holy God, whatever we might have thought, whatever we might have said, about God being wrong or maybe petty to condemn us, all that evaporates. We, we just know. Now, you likely have moments like this where you deny your sin and you think, well, God would be kind of bad if he told me that that was sinful. Or perhaps you used to have them because you have seared your conscience with foolish arguments that you know wouldn't work if you were standing face to face with a holy God. So the glory of the first advent, the first coming of Jesus, made everyone who saw it tremble because their sin had not yet been punished. They had sin that had not yet been punished. And so too will the glory of the second advent, the second coming, make everyone who sees it tremble whose sin has not yet been punished. Because they will realize, I have guilt that I will not be able to argue about. I have guilt that I will not be able to pay for. I have guilt that I will not be able to deal with. And that's the reason the first coming was as it was. For immediately after these glorious moments, that glory was concealed. It was veiled, veiled in human flesh, so that Jesus would live a very non-glorious, a very regular human life. We see in John 3, verse 16, verse 21, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and comes not into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. We can see that even in Jesus' life, even though his glory was concealed, he was still perfect. He was still righteous. He was still holy, even though he wasn't shining. And yet people still couldn't stand being around him. Because he was perfectly holy. And it exposed their sin. And this was God's perfect plan for the first coming of Jesus. So that at the second coming, there would be people who would rejoice at his coming rather than be terrified. At his first coming, he came to take the punishment of sinners. He came to take the punishment of sinners, to live the perfect life that they have failed to live, the perfect human life, the perfect ordinary human life. He came to do that for us. Not one human has lived an ordinary life that was perfect. And so he came hiding his glory so that he could live exactly what you needed to do but have failed to do. And then he died. What men fear when they see Christ face to face, when they see those angels, Christ received on the cross, he received the punishment for sins that we know we wouldn't be able to take. And he did this so that when he does come in glory the second time, we will be happy knowing that his coming will not be for our condemnation because his first coming, at his first coming, he took our condemnation. So dear Christians, be amazed at the glory of Christ his perfections and his moral goodness. As you look in the scriptures, you see in the gospels, you see him walking an ordinary human life and he does so perfectly without sin. Marvel and say, how is that possible? I can't live five seconds without sinning. Marvel at that. This is glorious. Let it show you your need of salvation and then let it cause your heart to rest in the truth that he actually did provide that salvation with his first coming, so that you can look forward to, rather than dread, the glorious coming of Christ, when you will see him exactly as he is, and all will see that. But all those whose sin is not covered by his blood will groan, and grieve, and weep, and gnash their teeth. They will be in terror for they know, they know, they know, they know that they are undone and they will have no word to speak in their defense and nowhere to run. But everyone whose sin is covered by the glorious Christ's blood will rejoice because they are hidden. They're not hidden under a rock. They're not hidden under the sea. They're not hidden behind clothes. They're not hidden behind religion. But scripture says that if you are in Christ, your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are hiding in Christ. His righteousness covers you. His blood covers you. And so because of that, the more glorious he is shown to be, 
the greater your hope is because you are covered by his righteousness. The last point is this. The coming of Christ is royal. The coming of Christ is royal. We can see the first advent was a royal coming. It was a royal advent. In Luke chapter 1, the, the, we're told that the angel visited Mary because she was engaged to Joseph who was from the line of David. Luke 1 verse 32, we're told that he, is, he will be given the throne of his father David to reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever and that his kingdom will have no end. In Luke chapter 2, we read that he was born in the city of David. Once in David's royal city. Luke chapter 2, 11, in the city of David, Christ the Lord is born. Christ means the anointed king that Israel had been waiting for for hundreds of years. When the wise men or the magi came to Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 2, what did they ask the people? Where is he who has been born? King of the Jews. Excellent. He has been born in Bethlehem, they figured, because that's the royal city. That's what, ha- that's what the prophecies said. What did the shepherds do when they came before this child? What happened to their knees? What did they do with their knees? They bowed before him. Everyone who saw this glorious coming, the angels proclaiming it, everyone who saw that, their knees bowed before the king, the Lord Jesus Christ, the king of Israel, the king of kings, the king of all the world. And as God, Jesus was always king. The Lord reigns, says the scriptures, let the earth be glad. But now he takes on human nature 2,000 years ago. And he also bears the title of king. The king as the son of David, the human king over all the earth. He was born to reign. He was born king. And yet, moments after this glorious coming, he is concealed to live an ordinary life, not a royal one. His regency is hidden. He's not making use of it. He's not living in such a way where everybody's bowing down to him or obeying his words or people are trying to curry favor with him. But all the while, he was just as royal. The one who held the oceans in his hand and the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. But as king, he took the role of servant to serve them, to accomplish for us what we couldn't accomplish on our own. The defeat of sin, the defeat of death, and the accomplishment of keeping the law. His first coming was a royal one for all who saw the glorious nature of it. They knew he was a king. The second advent will also be a royal one. Let's go back to Revelation chapter one. We'll see this again. Notice that he is called the ruler of kings. Notice that it says that he has made us a kingdom in verse 6. Made us a kingdom. We see this in Revelation 1. His coming, his second coming will be royal. 
In Matthew 25, we see as well his second coming will be royal. Matthew 25, 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. The sheep will enter eternal life in the new heaven and earth and the goats will go will go to hell. And who will do this? They won't file themselves in. They will go because the king has authority to do this. The king will do this. In Philippians 2, we read that Jesus, because of his life and his death, in obedience to the will of God, that he will be given the name above all things. And he is seated at the right hand of the glory of God. And he will return and every single knee will bow and every tongue confess. So the way that the shepherds responded, every single person will do. People who love him and people who hate him. People who want to do this and people who do not want to do this. Each person will be summoned before the king. And when the king summons you, you come. You have to. Whether you want to or not is not relevant. When the king summons you to stand before him, you will come. And you will either be judged according to your works, which include rebellion against the king, and you know it. And you know it. Or you will be judged according to his works which are perfect. Either you will be covered by his righteousness or you will be compared to his righteousness and all of your sin be exposed for what it is. You will be, the scriptures talk about it being naked. Your sin exposed. Whatever excuse you, you once used to excuse your sin or whatever whatever drugs or entertainment that you had to sort of distract yourself from dealing with the fact that you're guilty, all that will be ripped away and you'll be standing there face to face with a perfect judge, the king of all the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't say, well, no one's perfect because standing in front of you will be a man who's perfect and you will have no plea other than Christ is my Savior and He died for me. So dear friends, run to Him. Hide yourself in Him now. Because for those who do, the result will be that we will, be enter, we will enter into a kingdom that is shaped perfectly by the character of that King. The first advent revealed that He was King. It revealed the character of that king. And the second advent will be the one where his kingdom is as perfect as he is. Where what we will see with our eyes 
will be only things that fit perfectly with Christ's character. No sorrow, no sickness, no death, no pain, no sin, no rebellion, no opposition, no one denying him, no one mocking him, no one harming his church, no one threatening his church. It will be a kingdom perfectly fit for this king and for all the people who he qualified for his kingdom by his life and his death and his resurrection and his first coming. Dear church, he is king right now. He sits right now at the right hand of God the Father, reigning over all things from heaven. He is working, Romans 8 says, and I'm sure you read this in Sunday school this morning, working all things for the good of his church and the glory of God. That man, the Lord Jesus Christ, is king now. Other men seem to be in control now, but their life is a breath and a vapor. Whatever tyrant, whatever king, whatever wealthy billionaire you fear right now or are jealous of right now, you will know that one day you will hear the news that they died. You know that. And their life is in God's hand and they will have no breath more than he gives them. They are helpless in God's hand. So do not fear them or be jealous of them because they will not judge you eternally. Theirs is not the eternal kingdom. He, Christ, is reigning for you right now, reigning for you right now, if you've repented of your sin and trusted in his death and resurrection to forgive and change you. He is reigning for you. But if you have not done that, he is reigning against the kingdom that you are a citizen of. You are an enemy of the king of kings. Yes, he's patient and he has been good to you. But that's not evidence that he doesn't exist or that's not evidence that he is, he is, he is your king. It just is evidence that he's good to his enemies and that he is patient. So dear non-Christian guests, vacate the kingdom which he reigns against and will destroy when he returns in glory. Flee from that kingdom, but don't flee to your own good works. Don't flee to religion. Flee from him to him. Hide yourself in him. Be clothed in him. Run to him. Join the citizens of his kingdom and enjoy his current reign now, which is for our good, so that we can eagerly await his return when everything will be subjected to such a marvelous king. Dear church, the Lord Jesus' first coming was not a secret. It was visible. His second, kingdom will be, his second return will be visible to all. No one will deny it. No one will have to learn it. Everyone will see him. His second coming will be glorious. It will be glorious. And yet we won't have to fear it because it will only reveal the glory of our Savior. And his second coming will be royal. It will be royal. He will put everything wrong right. And he will reign over a perfect kingdom for his dearly beloved people. Let us long for his coming. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we rejoice 
that you sent your son, that you sent your son in a visible way, in a glorious way, in a royal way, but not as his final coming. Because we know if he had come that way the first time, then we would all be destroyed because all of us have sinned and fallen short of your glory. We know that our only hope would have been that he did it for us, that the king did it for us, that the glorious one did it for us. And Lord, I pray that you would prepare us to wait for him, prepare us to, for his return by turning our eyes and our hearts to Jesus. And Lord, we rejoice that one day our eyes will see him reigning perfectly over all things where everything that, that is opposed to you will be removed from the earth. Lord, we confess that Jesus is Lord and that the Lord died for our sins and rose from the dead. And I pray that we would be a people waiting for him when he returns. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Church, would you stand together and respond to God's word?